SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, joining me, as always, are Stefan G. Hey, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Good. What's your tagline? Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And we're also joined by Samuel Schultz. Hello. Is it Samuel? Uh-huh. Officially on the birth certificate? Yeah. <laughs> you, you thought about it for a second. Well, my brother is just Will and uh-huh. not William or anything like that. Yeah. So it does get a little... I wonder why they. my parents did that to me. You haven't asked them? I have. They didn't have an answer. What's your tagline? A little boy from outer space. We also got <laughs> Sari Riley up in the house. Sari, what's your tagline? I need a toaster. And I'm Hank Green. I am doing well. And my tagline is... Honey bunches of oats. So if you don't know about SciShow Tangents, it's a, a a time when uh when we get together, the four of us, we try to amaze each other. We try to uh, one-up each other with better and better science facts for each other's delight. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score in the form of Hank Bucks. And at the end, there will be a winner. And that winner 
will get nothing. We do everything <laughs> we can to stay on topic here at SciShow Tangents, but it is called SciShow Tangents, so if we go on a tangent, the rest of the crew gets to decide whether the tangent was worthwhile, and if it wasn't, then you have to give up a Hank buck. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem from Sam. From Mickey Mouse to Chuck E. Cheese, humans seem to love a man-sized cartoon mouse or rat wearing shoes and gloves. But in the distant mists of time, there have really been super giant rodents that weighed more than 15 men. With foot-long teeth and deadly jaws, they probably wouldn't be the greatest mascots for a park or a pizza place MC. And you wouldn't even <laughs> need to travel to a distant era to find a four-foot flying squirrel or a dog-sized capybara. Smaller and cuter though they are, they still aren't fit for showbiz because they'd rather poop and chew than entertain your kids. You did it. <laughs> I did it. It was great. <laughs> Hank Buck for Sam. Thank you. <laughs> I, I loved it. Uh, and and I think we may hear about some of these these giant rodents in today's SciShow Tangents episode on giant rodents, which you probably already knew because of the title of the episode. Yeah, that's, that's, a, works. that's a little bit yeah. of a flaw in the system. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we turn to Sari to tell us what a giant rodent is. This is one of the hardest definitions because it's so nebulous. Right, of rodent and giant? Rodent, not so much. Rodent, okay. we know. It's a order in mammals called mm -hmm. rodentia. And I think the thing that sets them apart the most is the way that their teeth grow and the way that they're positioned in their jaw. So they have incisors in the front that continuously grow their entire lives. And the only way they get worn down is by biting and chewing, which is why it's so important for all rodents to have stuff to gnaw on. Mm -hmm. And that's like your mice, your rats, guinea pigs, chinchillas, but also bigger ones like beavers and porcupines and capybaras. Wait, are um, squirrels one of them? I think squirrels are rodents. I hope so. It was in my poem. <laughs> I think so. Rabbits are not. Right, because they're the uh, lagomorphs. What's the difference there? Their teeth don't grow like that? Rabbit teeth do grow continuously throughout their whole life, but their jaw structure is somehow different. So. Hanging out somewhere nearby. Yeah. Where uh, where does it get giant? I feel like a, a beaver is a giant rodent. Like if somebody came on this show, we're talking about giant rodents, and you talked about a beaver, I'd be right here with you. Yeah, that's where my yeah. head was in this one. So the three biggest kinds of rodents are beavers, porcupines, capybaras. And mm. those get into, I think, 30 plus yeah. pounds starting with beavers. And so those seem big. And then there are big versions of mice and rats that, to right. biologists are giant where mm -hmm. they're like compared to a normal mouse this one's giant yeah but, you see it and you're like that is a small animal <laughs> <laughs> yeah I read about a giant one that was twice as big as a normal mouse which is so tiny <laughs> <laughs> to me giant rodent seems weird I guess because the word rodent right is like a gross word kind of it's like for a gross little scurrying thing so then mm -hmm. when you see like a beaver you're not like ooh a rodent right so maybe that's yeah, what the line is once like they're not a, gross anymore yeah then, you see a copy bar and you're like that's that's a, just a cute animal. Yeah, I'm going to mm. give it a little pat on the head. <laughs> so I guess we've got like roughly giant is, you know, when we're like, oh, that's a rodent? That's yeah. awful big. It's not a very scientific no. topic. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> and then like the prehistoric yes. right. ones. Yeah. Then and that's the... actually giant. Yes. Which yeah. we can't talk about too much before my fact off. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but before we get to that, it's time for everybody's favorite time. <laughs> where Sari has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is true. The other panelists have to figure it out, either by deduction or wild guess. And if we get it right, we get a Hank buck. If we don't, then Sari does. Sari, what are your three facts? Hundreds of years ago, the Laotian giant flying squirrel was a messenger animal in Southeast Asia for military, medical, and domestic deliveries. 
They have a lot of endurance and seem to use smell and the Earth's magnetic field to navigate over long distances in the brush, similar to homing pigeons. I want that one. Yeah. (laughs) Fact number two, African giant pouched rats are rodents but aren't technically rats. They have a keen sense of smell and are trained to identify tuberculosis and spit and mucus samples. Microscope tests that look for bacteria aren't always accurate, so these rodents have saved lives. Or fact number three. In the 1940s, U.S. military researchers worked on Project Timber. They were studying beavers' extremely strong teeth and wanted to train them to gnaw down wooden building supports instead of trees. Uh, Super sneaky. Uh, but the project was canceled because it wasn't destructive enough. Oh, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that anyone has ever called a beaver not destructive enough. <laughs> All right, so I got to go straight to African giant pouch rats, which you said they weren't rats. Did they have a giant pouch? They, I think it refers to their cheek pouches. Oh, okay. Um, All right, right, right. So they are, but they are rodents. They are rodents, yeah. So these are, these, your three facts are potentially useful rodents. Yeah, three potentially useful rodents. A flying squirrel messenger, a sniffing rat, disease sniffing rat, Mm -hmm. or beaver weapons. <laughs> Weaponized beaver. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing I know about America is we've tried to weaponize everything. Mm-hmm. So if we haven't weaponized beavers, I would be surprised, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I might, I'm leaning strongly toward that. But we've met a beaver and they seem very slow and lazy. I wouldn't look at a beaver and think that thing could chew through a supports quickly. Wouldn't that be what they, they would need to do? They don't necessarily have to chew through supports quickly. Like, they could just come back. But, like, they can chew down a tree, no problem. They do yeah. it all the time. Okay. Just throw a bunch of beavers in the basement of the building. Hmm. Okay. Eventually. I feel like for a lot of reasons that wouldn't work because they're like a family <laughs> unit. They seem very temperamental. It. I, do, I guess it didn't work, so. It's true. I go. do agree that, like, it, you can't, like, throw a beaver someplace and <laughs> yeah. be like, chew! They tend to... Want to settle down first before right. they get to the really active chewing. So, so I'm I'm still feeling strong on Project Timber because I figure we we've, we've tried. Yeah, okay. At the very least, we've tried. Giant flying squirrel. I I obviously I want it to be true. I know that they're real. Oh, they were in your poem. They were in my poem. But all I read about them was that they are real. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I don't know anything else. I don't know about if them. they were used for anything. Yeah. By and they're currently living. These four meter flying squirrels. That's the thing. They have only found 10 of them, according to my research. Oh, no. And they were all dead. They pop up in meat markets sometimes. Oh, I see. I see. I see. This was hundreds yeah. of years ago. Yeah. All right. As what part of that. Thing? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, damn. Then I guess I don't know. I'm leaning towards the middle one. Giant pouch rat can smell TB. Was it TB and cancer or just TB? Just tuberculosis. Oh, boy. Maybe not then. I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? I feel I like know. you can smell tuberculosis. I, you think so? Yeah. Sure. It's an infection in your respiratory system, which means uh-huh. it would come out in your breath. I feel like it's easier to smell TB than cancer. I'm going to go with that one. You're going to go with, okay. Good. I have to stress that we cannot all pick the same answer. Again. I agree with you because, <laughs> I, and it doesn't matter because I'm going for Project Timber, okay, for weaponized okay. beavers. Okay. I definitely read about tuberculosis smelling rats, but I don't know if it was this that rat. species of rats, but I'm going to go with number two. I think that Sari wouldn't, I think Sari would not do it with just a different species. That's, I am also betting on that. Yeah. What if it's a different disease though? Because I feel like I've heard of cancer smelling rats. So. <laughs> well, we're going to find out <laughs> okay. right now. Uh, number two is correct. Uh, <laughs> I wanted weaponized beavers. <laughs> yeah, that get them. Great. So are there any seeds of truth in weaponized beavers? That can make, mm. like, be some kind of salve to my <laughs> ego. Nope. Uh, <laughs> they do have extremely strong teeth, and I thought that was cool. They mm-hmm. have iron yeah. uh, molecules yeah. as part oh. of it, so they're kind of orangey. 
and uh-huh. just like like got really strong enamel. And so I, I just wanted to see if I could make up a fake military project convincingly. <laughs> so I tried. Did. And the flying squirrel thing, I just also found that it existed and then uh-huh. made up everything else. They're I thought like of four feet tall. Yeah, That's they're crazy. huge. But they but there's only we don't know if there's any alive. I think there are. They're just not they're not easy to find. I don't think I feel ever... like a giant squirrel would be easy to find. Yeah, maybe nobody's really put a lot of time into it. I but... think it's very easy to find the little ones. That's true. And then we've also got actual TB sniffing rats. Mm-hmm. And they're very cute and very good. Um, oh. They're called hero rats. Uh, so an organization has discovered that these African giant pouched rats can be trained over the course of nine months to sniff various things. And so they've trained some of them to sniff for landmines beneath uh, the surface of the ground. So they wear little harnesses and walk around and sniff for (laughs) explosives. And then they find it and then tell people about it? Yeah. So they have a handler, (laughs) I think. They're not heavy enough to blow up, right? Yeah, they're not heavy enough. So they can walk over the ground, which is why it's way safer to train them instead of having humans walk around Mm -hmm. and find them. But they have also been used to sniff for tuberculosis, which is a very serious disease, especially in some African nations, like where... These good rats are? Where these good rats are, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in a lot of these countries, tuberculosis is a really high cause of death, but they don't have the technology needed to screen for it really easily. Mm -hmm. Like in our hospitals, we have, I don't know, machines that can analyze molecules very easily, but the main test that a lot of these hospitals are using is a microscope test where they take a sample of sputum, which mm-hmm. I think is a very weird word. It's a yeah, very it's bad great. word. <laughs> <great>. <laughs> it's like the spit and mucus that sure. tuberculosis patients hack up. Mm-hmm. And so they look at it under the microscope and are looking for bacteria in it, any sign of it. And the problem is, is especially if someone is HIV positive with a mm-hmm. immune system that's compromised, not very many bacteria can make them extremely sick. And mm-hmm. so it's really hard to find the bacteria in these mm-hmm. microscope tests. But rats can be trained to sniff it out and, and do it faster, more efficiently, and go through a bunch more samples than humans mm. with pretty high accuracy. Wow. And so they so just... you're intentionally putting rats in healthcare centers. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. usually the opposite of how it works. <laughs> They're using rats to actually diagnose people and they just like stick a, a rat in a container and then give them a bunch of samples to sniff. And usually, from what I read, they like scratch the ground, which seems kind of uh-huh. cute <laughs> if they smell disease. And then the researchers just like check a bunch of boxes and usually... It, that's not like a confirmed diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It just tells the doctors that they should go back and check that sample mm-hmm. again manually. Mm-hmm. But they've increased diagnoses by a lot. In the first 16 months that they did this program of rat sniffing samples from patients, they tested about 12,500 patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1,700 had been found positive already at health clinics using the microscopes. But then the rats detected another 764 patients on top of that that were confirmed to have tuberculosis. So they're like genuinely saving people. That's great. And you're not being weaponized at all. You're (laughs) being opposite of that. How big are they, though? They get up to about a meter long. Oh, that's big. Does that include a tail? (laughs) Yes, including the tail. Okay. I'm more on board now. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for us to talk about even gianter rats and, or I guess, rodents. And we're going to do that right after we hear about some advertising. (laughs) 
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back. Here's our totals in terms of our Hank Buck scores. Sarah, you got one. Hank, that's me. You got zero. (laughs) Sam. Uh-huh. Coming in first with two, and oh, Stefan yeah. has one. Oh, I forgot about the poem, Hank Buck. I thought we were all tied. No, you're all losing, except for <laughs> Sam. But it's my chance to come back, and Stefan, you too. Mm-hmm. You can, you can, I can claw win. your way back. You can win, even. Because it's time for the Fact Off, where two panelists have brought in science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow your minds. Stefan and I have brought in facts this week. Sari and Sam have the opportunity to award the Hank Buck to the fact they like the most. And the person who goes first is the person who is sneakiest. Like rodents are sneaky. Mm. Masters of stealth. You know, know are that they they're sneaky? there. They are. I once had a mouse on my face. <laughs> oh, God. I think you've talked about this on the podcast. Oh. Yeah, I woke up. I was in the forest and I woke up with a mouse on my face. And I grabbed it and I threw it. <laughs> was the mascot costume that you wore a rodent? No, I was Willie the Wildcat. Oh, okay. I was a beaver, so I was technically oh, a rodent. Oh, Sari not only is like hung out with rodents, she's been one. <laughs> Tim the beaver. But I For, think like, I have, high to, school? We have to leave it up. For college. Oh, cool. To you guys. Oh, wow. You were a mascot in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was very judgmental. <laughs> That's what I put those days behind me in high school. Tell me, you guys have to tell us which you think is who who's sneakier. Oh. There's three Ooh. people in the room, so you guys all have to vote. Who's sneakier, Stefan or Hank? Oh no, this is a trick. <laughs> um, who's sneakier? Do I get to vote? I feel no. like no. Stefan would try to be sneakier to avoid people. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh. Maybe has more experience because he's like people less than I do. Yes. But... I feel like head down will just go. Hmm. Yeah. But maybe Hank has more like actual tested methods for escaping and sneaking past people than Stefan does. It's true. I bet Hank is sneakier. (laughs) It's okay. Sam thinks I'm sneakier. I will buy that logic. I feel like Hank is more professionally sneaky than Stefan is. Yes. Stefan is a casual sneaker, Mm -hmm. an amateur sneak. And (laughs) Hank is a professional sneak. I cannot believe this. That you think you you wanted to be sneaky? I can't. I'm just being described as a casual sneak, an (laughs) amateur. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like this at all. (laughs) All right. Well, I get to go first anyway. Mm -hmm. This was a long process. So here is my fact. As I believe we may have discussed on tangents briefly before, Pablo Escobar, the drug lord, had hippos. And I have written down here, 
weird flex, but okay. And since then, <laughs> the hippos have moved beyond their original like lake enclosure where they were, and they have uh, gone into wild ecosystems. There is a debate raging right now about whether these hippos might actually be good for the environment as an invasive species because they're filling a niche once occupied by now extinct megafauna. For example, the world's largest ever known rodent, Josephoartigisai gassia, Monisai. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which probably weighed upwards of 2,000 pounds and looked very similar to guinea pigs, mm-hmm. but 2,000 pounds though. Hippos clock in at around <laughs> 3,000 to 4,000 pounds. So when people say that capybaras are giant guinea pigs, these things make that sound silly because they are 10 times bigger than a capybara. So some ways that hippos may help increase biodiversity and thus uh, these megafauna rodents may have once done, consuming overgrowths of aquatic grasses, reforming the landscape with their giant bodies and creating channels through mats of grass, and creating more variable levels of nutrients and oxygen in uh, a single river system. So Joseph Fogar Tegis, I've got to give these things a better name, went extinct around uh, 4 million years ago, likely because of new species invading after North and South America first became connected. But these new hippos, they got no predator that can stand up to them except maybe people. So we will see how this turns out. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Pablo Escobar had hippos. Yes. And then they just let them go? They got out. Uh-oh. They're real big. I don't okay. actually get the impression that they were enclosed. Ah. Um. They like put... And I don't, I'm, I, I did not figure this out how they got out, but I think that they just like built a man-made lake and they were like, put the hippos there. Uh-huh. They won't be able to go very far because there's no nearby stuff for them to go to, but then they figured it out. Oh. But maybe there were like some kind of enclosures, but they're out now. Did they have children? Oh, yeah. Whoa, okay. That's so they're really out. Cool. They're, they are officially an invasive species. <laughs> they okay. probably could kill them if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are looking into how to sterilize them because uh-huh. people nearby don't like the idea of the hippos getting killed because they like the hippos. Oh. These must be some friendly hippos. I don't think they are. I think that they have like some kind of attachment to them that probably once people start dying of hippo, <laughs> maybe they will lose. And this wasn't the only uh, megafauna that uh, may have been in a similar niche to a hippo in uh-huh. South America. Most of them went extinct when humans arrived, but there was a earlier extinction of megafauna in South America when big cats arrived from North America. Can you expand on the idea of reforming the landscape with their giant bodies? Yeah. That seems weird and cool. Yeah, so they actually can change how rivers flow by, like, when they walk around, they, like, kill grasses, they break apart grass mats, they... uh, like the more that they move through an area, they create channels that water can flow through. And so they become what I think in uh, in, in ecosystem ecology is called ecosystem engineers, like mm-hmm. the way that beavers are. And when you take them away, the ecosystem actually like the, the functional, like what this ecosystem looks like changes mm-hmm. because of not having something so significant you know, moving through it. Was killing all the megafauna like a huge mistake on humanity's part or? They stopped existing before humans got to South America. So we didn't get the chance. Oh, okay. Yeah. We didn't do that to the, to we the big mouses. Yeah. Okay. This good. was a while back. This is all based on one skull. Yeah. And there, I read a little bit about these from my poem. Oh, yeah. They have, they're the ones with the foot long teeth. They have very big teeth. And they have a bite that's like three times stronger than a tiger. Yep. So they were just like chomping trees, I think, or something. <laughs> It seems like they probably chomped grasses in rivers because their molars were actually really small, which Uh indicates they probably didn't chomp on things that were 
hard. Why they have such a strong bite then? Pro- maybe for like biting mm. predators. Ah. That's my jam. So I guess this comes down to Stefan. Do you have a better fact than me? I don't know. But oh. funny that you should mention ecosystem engineers. Oh. My fact is about beavers, but not related to their size, uh, just about how their activities might be affecting their environment because they have pretty big effects on their ecosystems. As most people probably know, beavers make dams. Uh, and I thought they just did, they were like one dam animals, but apparently they make multiple dams uh, so that they can create like a whole lake area for themselves to build a little house in. And there's tons of benefits to this, like reducing erosion, controlling floods. Uh, that, there's a lot of like filtration that's happening because of the dams, mm-hmm. like even removing like pesticides and herbicides from the water. But the raised water level is also covering soil that was previously not underwater. There's carbon trapped in that soil and it can dissolve into the water and it can go several places, one of which is the atmosphere. Uh-oh. And as temperatures, global temperatures have been increasing, beavers have expanded their habitats northward. And so some places they're building dams in areas where there's permafrost. And so it's raising the water level onto this permafrost, which thaws it out and releases the carbon there. But it's also complicated because the beaver ponds also have carbon storing effects. They're putting a bunch of biomass underwater, like the trees and also mm-hmm. also in the soil that they're covering up. Uh, and that biomass is storing carbon. So basically, beaver activities have some carbon releasing effects and they also have some carbon storing effects. There was a paper in mid-2018 that found or estimated that overall... Uh, beavers are releasing twice as much carbon as they're storing. No. Hmm. Well, they're doing better than us. Yeah, I yes. would guess that we are releasing far more than uh-huh. twice as much than we are. But they're storing. like in second place in terms of animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's a complicated situation and we don't like 100% know, like it's all estimates and humans are still way, way, way worse uh-huh. than beavers. beavers. Uh, but I just thought it was yeah. funny to think of like, how we're not the only species that's like doing things that are affecting climate change in some with way. A, with a net <laughs> increased carbon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> building things and fucking everything up. Is there anything else that would, like any other animal besides us and beavers that mm. make carbon happen? Uh, make it, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to like, let's discount everything that is controlled by us. So obviously cows do, but like oh, they yeah. wouldn't be doing it if they weren't, for, they weren't for us. Okay. But I think you could probably say the same for a lot of ruminants that produce a lot of methane mm-hmm. probably, you know, have a net positive effect on global warming. But, mm-hmm. like, it's going to be so minuscule compared to, like, one airplane flight. Look, we got to blame everybody else first. <laughs> That's the only way we can get around I mean, ourselves. I've legitimately seen people who are like, there are volcanoes at the bottom of the ocean that also spew out a bunch of carbon dioxide. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, we can't do anything about those. Plug it <laughs> up. Look up the volcanoes. Yeah, yeah do you want to like, do you want to do a deep sea expedition to stop volcanoes? Yeah, it's giving me a big old cork. <laughs> It'll I'll go fine, it. I'm sure. <laughs> termites, maybe? Oh, yeah. Termites totally produce tons of methane. Yeah, Same way, like, Digging in the ground or what? Just, no, they like the, the fermentation process. The, yeah. the, oh. Them actually converting the wood, the cellulose into digestible stuff Weird. is a microbial process that produces methane. Uh, this EPA thing says estimates of the contribution to the global budget of methane from termites vary widely from negligible to 15%. Wow. <laughs> what? On the high end, that's a lot. <laughs> that of a lot. Termites. Huh. I mean, there's a lot of termites. There's a lot of termites. Man. Yeah. But there are uh, way more beetles, right? Beetles, they're the most. Well, there are the most species of beetles. I don't oh. know if they're most individual mm. beetles because there are so many individual termites and ants. I'm not actually clear. All I know is that there are 23 billion chickens on Earth right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> too many. Did you just finish counting them. <laughs> too many dang chickens. That's a lot of chickens. Yeah, way too many chickens, you guys. Oh uh, wait, isn't a huge percentage of is it mammal life or all life rodents? A huge percentage of mammal species are rodents. There are about fifteen hundred living rodent species out of four thousand ish living mm. mammals. And then bats are like the other big contributor to the mammal species. There's like two thousand species of bats or something. For now, someday we'll be number one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bummer. Yeah. But then where would all the chickens be? Well, there's chickens and humans. We're tied for first. I think that if the chickens wanted to take us over, they apparently could. You think so? Oh, there's more. billion. How many people are there? Seven-ish? Seven oh, plus? Yeah, you're right. Chickens are small, though. What's what's 23 divided by seven? About three. I could kill three chickens. <laughs> <laughs> there's tons of people. We all got to do our part, guys. But they're also like babies and old people. They can't but take are, those But some of those chickens, chickens are babies but and Hank old people. Can, <laughs> <laughs> Hank could also kill six chickens if he had yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if some of them were babies and old chickens. Uh-huh. Take some extra for Orin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has three chickens delivered to the doorstep. You have to murder them for him. <laughs> they're not delivered. They're coming at us. Oh, they're, yeah, they're attacking. <laughs> okay, somebody has to get a Hank Buck taken away, and I think it's me. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you my Hank Buck. Well, I lost it immediately. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm also going to give mine to Hank. I'm uh-huh. sorry. The global warming made me sad. And now it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds, by which we mean Sari. Patty asks, why aren't there more giant rodents? This is a great question. And I... I don't have a good answer for that. Were there even a lot of prehistoric giant rodents? Well, this this big one in South America, which died out about four million years ago, is by far the biggest and, and is about twice as big as the next smallest. And then the one after that is the capybara. So there just never have been super giant ones besides that, like those two. It seems like that. Yes. Okay. There's hmm. a giant beaver. That was in North America. How big is a giant beaver? Approximately two meters. And weighed up to 125 kilograms, so so almost 300 pounds. Eh, not that big compared to the other guy. Animals kill other animals, and that's like the ultimate answer to the right. question mm-hmm. because of mm. what are known as ecological niches or niches, however you want to pronounce that word. Just the way the food web is set up, there are a lot of small animals mm-hmm. that eat things like grasses and little bugs, foraging and, yeah. kind of things. And then as you go up the food chain, there's less room for those animals because they need space, they need resources, mm-hmm. and rodents are often on the lower end of the food chain. A lot of them eat grasses. A lot of them are those foraging, herbivorous kind mm-hmm. of organisms. So in order to get really huge, they need to be, or would ideally be the apex predator mm-hmm. in a situation. But there are very big herbivores. Like the biggest animals are herbivores yeah. on land. And, and interestingly, like there were a lot of giant ground sloths and giant mm. and like this big old rodent in South America. And what is interesting to me is like what makes horses and elephants better at being big old herbivores than rodents? I feel like part of it is luck and chance in the way that these adaptations rolled out. So mm-hmm. maybe whatever the elephant's ancestor was just happened not to be eaten enough as the babies got bigger and bigger over evolutionary time. And Mm -hmm. so then they filled this role within the ecosystem. But I don't know, even capybaras are eaten by bigger things. They're they're jaguars. Humans Mm -hmm. hunt them and kill them. Where do beavers fit into the 
food chain. Did they get big because they learned how to build a house? I will guess and like preface it with the fact that it's a guess. A lot of the big rodents seem to be water based. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So like capybaras, beavers, nutrias, mm-hmm. they all filled, I don't know, this like aquatic mammal thing. Mm-hmm. Is is kind of a weird space to occupy because not all mammals are comfortable in the water, can survive in mm-hmm. there, can build a shelter, can find food mm-hmm. in that ecosystem. And so it's possible that over time, like they just got healthier, they got bigger, and then their babies were healthier mm-hmm. and could grow bigger. If you have everything being taken care of for you, there's an arrow towards getting bigger mm-hmm. because it lets you compete more effectively for resources Mm, amongst like if you're competing with other members of your species it often does help to get bigger there's a really good example of that it's not a giant rodent but it's rodents that are giant relative to their size or like the normal size on goff island house mice are like 150 percent their normal size so like there's a there's an arrow there's an arrow something pushed them to get bigger yes and it's because i think there aren't that many humans on the island they were allowed to run rampant, and they started eating Atlantic petrel chicks. So they started eating bird chicks. um, And in order to compete with that, I think, we're, like, not entirely sure why, but they're about 10 inches or 27 centimeters big. And the chicks are still bigger than them, but they just grew to get big enough to start, like, attacking these baby birds and eating them. Yeah. And now, according to this paper, which is, Buck wild to me, of the 1.6 million petrol chicks born each year, an estimated 1.25 million of them oh. are eaten by mice, oh, no. by these like no. giant tiny mice. You guys, stop it. Yeah. I know where this is going. I've, I've like, heard this story before. Yeah, yeah. They're just like us too. <laughs> and so that's an example of something that is small, like a house mouse that mm-hmm. just ended up on an island, mm-hmm. bred really fast. Found a food source, right. didn't have yeah. anything really eating it, and then, bleh. Yeah, yeah. they're going to drive themselves to extinction, no no problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're going to have to start getting small real fast. All right, so if you want to ask the Science Couch, couch a question, you can tweet us your question using the hashtag AskSciShow. Thank you to everybody who did that, including Color Me Trash 2 and Cat Loving London. Our final Hank Buck scores. Sari, you have one. I have one because I went on a dumb tangent and I could have been tied for the win. Stefan, you have one and Sam is our winner. You're a bunch of losers. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you encourage the tangent. No, uh, yeah, no, totally. no, I won completely naturally. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how you win, Sam. It matters that you do. If you like this show and you want, it's America, and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review wherever you listen, like Amber Loves Pods did. Amber, she loves podcasts, including ours. It's very helpful, and it helps us know what you like about the show. You can also tweet out your favorite moment from this episode, which we will look at and be like, oh, I liked that too. And finally, if you want to show your love for tangents, you can just tell people about us. Thank you for listening to this show. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Jin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroko Matsushima. And our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Von Giorno. And we couldn't do any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing.
Capybara mm-hmm. have anal pouches, which are described in males as dry and bristly. What's it do? It uh, is a scent receptacle. There is a great picture on the internet of a capybara that has inserted a stick into its what? scent pouch. No. Huh? It's just uh-huh. like gotten right up into the capybara's pouch. It's yeah. like, I'm going to make this smell real nice. Yeah, and it, it's a, it's how they communicate, and they all have different scent smells, and it's not unusual, uh, of course, but does feel a little bit grody. And they really like to put their nose scent glands on each other's anal pouches um, and mix the smells together. 